When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. My name is Dave Hanready and there will be no encore. Welcome to episode 287 of the No Encore Music Podcast. We're back at it. Craig Fitzpatrick, Dave Hanready, fully vaccinated. And two I lads, felt two jobs. I was terrified, man. Jobs. I was terrified. I was terrified of like the the side effect thing, you know, like oh you, the second one's the one that gets you. And I genuinely was kind of freaking out. But it went very well. I will uh, I'll jump in though, because I'm sure listeners will want to know. The answer is no. Fate had other plans. I was not reunited with the nurse that I flirted with the first time around four weeks ago it was a different nurse it was a handsome boy named jake who showed me his (laughs) tattoo on his ankle that he got on a sixth year holiday that he now regrets because he was complimenting my tattoos and i was like do you have any and at that moment the needle went in didn't even feel it he did a great job and i had very very homoerotic and i'm I'm here for nothing wrong with that did you use Uh, the line you're a very handsome boy (laughs) no i didn't know um it was like uh, it was like 11 in the morning and i was walking off a very bad two-day hangover so if it had been two in the afternoon Things could have gone a little Maybe, different. Maybe, yeah, possibly it could have been. But um, he was a very nice guy. I have to say all the staff were great there. And I, and I felt reasonably okay for the next couple of days. I mean, like, I'm actually feeling a bit grim now. But as I said to you off mic, I think it's the five pints I had last night on no food. So, um, yeah. That's another shouts, podcast we're doing. <laughs> shouts <laughs> to the vaccine people. Um, I understand you've been feeling a bit under the weather, though. Yeah, I was allaying your concerns, Dave. I was bullish about it. I was like, everything's going to be absolutely fine. And then... Um, got jabbed the other day. By evening time, I was quite fatigued and like burning up to the extent that like when I went to bed, it was that feeling of like, you know, when you've got a really bad flu and you're like just under the duvet and you're like, you can't do anything. That was me for the night. Woke up like feverish where I was like, I'm not sure if I'm awake or not. (laughs) Could barely stand up to get out of bed for work the next day. And then was just like, yeah, way late. It was, it was pretty grim. 
Yeah, and poor Sonic Architect about. Adam is currently bedridden as well. He threw his back out, but he's a tough man. He'll be back on his feet in no time. The point is, listener, we're all in the wars, but someone who isn't in the wars, and I want to send a hearty no-encore congratulations to our former Sonic Architect, Eve Murray, who got engaged Eve. this week. Congratulations yeah. to Eve. Incredible stuff for an incredible person, and love and happiness to all involved. So yeah, um, on with the show. On this week's episode, we're going to be reviewing the new album from Billie Eilish, and we're going to be talking top five songs about fame. The good, the bad, the ugly, I presume. It's not a best and worst, but there are best and worst qualities to being famous, as Craig and I readily know. Uh, before we get on with the show, quick mention for our Patreon, of course, patreon.com slash noencore if you want to help support this show. We greatly appreciate it, and we greatly appreciate everybody who does. But for now, into the new section. <laughs> Hey, you heard about the good news? You know what? It was good news for No Encore at the weekend when Tony Clayton Lee, respected journalist, put us in uh, one of those podcast roundup things, you know, in the Irish Independent Review section. He picked four podcasts of the moment, pop culture shows that everyone should listen to, and No Encore made it. And I know this is shameless self-plugging on the show already, which kind of makes no sense, but I I just want to read out what he wrote, if that's okay. Anyone may or may not have heard it because... Yeah, it was exciting. uh, It was fair and balanced, but there was a couple of digs in there as well. So I think we have to address those. So uh, here's what what Tony said. Um, uh, Another long-established podcast is No Encore, which has been inspecting its opinion since 2016. Co-hosted by music writers Dave Hanready and Craig Fitzpatrick, there is an irony-heavy aesthetic here with the two hosts throwing and catching jokes, some of which are so in, you'll need a searchlight to see them, about all manner of pop culture topics, occasionally a tad too verbally rapid for its own good. The magazine-style blend is nonetheless superb. Mm. Included in the mix are one-on-one interviews, album overviews, and some very funny top five-themed episodes. I'm glad he picked the driving one, by the way, the one that pissed everyone off. <laughs> Controversial. Uh, the only downside... Oh, yeah, I'll speak Bob Dylan song, so I'm sure Zara Hedman will lay some claim there. The only downside... Many episodes are far oh. too long. If they were capped at around 60 minutes, no encore would perfectly represent its name by leaving the listener wanting more. <sighs> you know what, Craig? I think man's got a point, so I just want to say a huge thank you to Sonic Architect Adam. He's done another great job on this episode. And to you, listener, for checking out the show. It's patreon.com slash no encore if you want to help support what we do. Craig and I back next week. Take care. See ya. <laughs> Anything to add, Craig? Uh, we're back right now, are we? Yeah, <laughs> we yeah. Just bring have it back. Yeah, I'll have it die hard, I suppose. Sorry. We can't bow to public pressure like that, you know? It's all about the artistry. We can't workshop this show. <laughs> that was really nice right up. Even, as I said to you at the time, even the kind of criticisms, I think, made us seem more interesting. Yeah. Um, there were some and little like, digs. I it's, mean, it's, spe- it's, 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 even the, you yeah, know, the, well, now that I look at it, even the opening, you know, spouting on, its opinions. Drag him, Craig. Spouting its opinions. <laughs> like Chernobyl's been spouting nuclear waste since I don't think that was, I don't think that was the analogy he was going for. I think he was uh, like, like it, it's a, it's a microphone heavy mix, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, no, to be honest, you know what? This could be a press release we sent him. And it just might be, because I think we would describe the show like that. But he's added in a couple of superlatives that we definitely wouldn't. So, um, yeah, it was really nice. I I like the kind of the vibe of us being a kind of shambling, but maybe kind of great. We're basically the exile of Main Street of the podcasts. 
That's perfect. Yeah. Look, it was it was a lovely surprise. So uh, that's enough relentless plugging. I just wanted to make that gag. So um, in an update from last week, of course, we talked about the sad passing of Joey Jordis and Slipknot drummer. And I said at the time that Slipknot hadn't released a public statement. They did pretty much hours after we, I think, came out on the Friday. Yeah. So uh, just real quick, in case anyone hasn't seen it or is wondering what Slipknot had to say, they said our hearts go out to Joey's family and loved ones at this time of tremendous loss. Joey Jordison's art, talent and spirit could not be contained or be held back. Joey's impact on Slipknot on our lives and on the music that he loved is incalculable. I can't even say that word. Can you say that word? Incalculable? That's that's a tough fucking word. Um, Without him, there would be no us. We mourn his loss with the entire Slipknot family. We love you, Joey. They also released a lengthy video that was kind of like a compilation supercut of like him playing drums over the years, interview segments and so on. Yeah. And very affecting, tough to watch, and obviously still an incredibly sad story. But like I said last week, I expected Slipknot to kind of, despite the kind of fractious nature of their relationship towards the end, I thought that they would do the right thing as best they could. Unfortunately, it does lead to below the line comments of fans kind of being like you know sniping and getting mad at each other and that's just not what anybody kind of needs right now but again look below the line yeah pretty much a a standard for life right there but once again rest in peace joey jordison glad to see what slipknot had to say someone who had a lot to say this week yeah mr above the line (laughs) of the week it's been a it's been a big week for this man So it's been a big week for Melvin Ben <laughs> and for the Electric Picnic Festival. Monday, I'm, I'm going to take you through a timeline now, okay? Oh, please and then, do, yeah. And then I'll throw it's it like to Craig for some... journalism, I'm loving this. Yeah, yeah. So I'm going to do like a timeline of this as uh, as we can up until Thursday at like ha- 7 o'clock when we're recording this. And then I'll throw it to Craig for some for some expert analysis. Monday, Managing Director of Festival Republic, uh, Melvin Ben, did an interview on RT News at 1. And he said, and I quote, that he was 100% fully expecting that Electric Picnic would be going ahead on the basis that 100% nobody has told me I won't be able to. Uh, there's a quote later in the piece as well where he said, I guess the status is very straightforward from my point of view, which is that I am very actively undertaking the planning of Electric Picnic because I very actively believe that the Electric Picnic will take place. And I say that because I can't see any reason at this point in time why it wouldn't take place at the end of September. We're two months away from it, he said. Ben. Tuesday. Dave Hanready goes on the last word on Today FM and once again says, Not happening, mate. Wednesday. Leash County Council has refused to grant a license to hold the Electric Picnic Music Festival. Oh my God. The event had been due to take place from the 24th to the 26th September at Stradbody Hall Estate. And in a statement that came out on Wednesday evening, uh, they said that following the most up-to-date public health advice made available to the council, they essentially would not grant a license. Uh, under current government measures for the management of COVID-19 events of this nature are restricted to an attendance of 500 people only. This was a very difficult decision for the council to make, and I'm sure it will be disappointing to thousands of music fans and the live music industry. However, in the current climate it's the lack of certainty over covid uh, we'd all love to see it go ahead but with no certainty it's very hard which you know sounds a bit right but we're not done yet oh man thursday uh electric and organizers have hit back at this and saying that they plan to review their options after the license was officially refused uh there was a big statement made by picnic on their social media channels there was also a statement made by give us the night as well that kind of organization which have been trying to get the arts reopened essentially and this all comes on the back as well of like a lot of musicians kind of coming out this week and essentially being like it's been over 500 days we've been shuttered uh picnic have like in in amidst their statement they had a weird one where they were like they want 
they want like the roadmap to be made official by like the 14th of August. Catherine Martin has previously said it would happen at the end of August. But they said they want to move towards a situation of no restrictions from the 1st of September. And I'm like, what? Well, that sounds like a kind of a hyper, uh, a hyper real leap. Uh, lots of unease in the music industry this week. Lots of people very upset. And I want to make it clear as well. I know we're having a bit of fun with our little sting there, but like, um, obviously on this show and if I've, if I've appeared on radio or even on my own Twitter you know I've been kind of castigating the bullishness of a certain individual and some statements that have been quite frankly ridiculous over the last few months but like it is genuinely horrible for so many people within the Irish music industry who were waiting patiently to work at Electric Picnic this year it's a big job people would have been you know awaiting the green light which didn't come and I feel very very bad for them I, and I feel bad for some punters as well I think I think the lack of communication has been very very poor it's a mess yeah an absolute mess I, I, and like in fairness I, like in one respect I feel bad for the picnic organisers because it's you know this is a trickle down effect the government have been piss poor in their communication Electric Picnic subsequently have been piss poor in their communication but the, it comes to a point though the initial plan, like per Melvin Ben's statement there on Monday, was that they were going to announce the lineup at the end of this month, which would be three weeks in advance of the festival. It seems like Liam Gallagher was going to be one of the headliners because he tweeted about it saying, like, oh, I was gutted, I was hoping to come over. I mean, like, I was speculating that it would be a, a raft of kind of Irish acts, but I've heard some UK names since. I've heard the likes of Jerry Cinnamon Doesn't and Dave could have been there. Doesn't get much more Irish than Liam EG. It's true enough, yeah. So, but, like, uh, essentially, I think, like, I just think that there has been a really bad, and I understand unprecedented circumstances, exceptional circumstances, but like the lack of communication I think has been dreadful and it's been symptomatic as well of an arrogance that has been at the top of this. And like I say, you know, whether it's Shane Dunn of MCD on Twitter, whether it's Brezzy, although I thought Brezzy's video that he put out this week was absolutely embarrassing. He did this weird soliloquy thing, the slam poetry video, and it was this dramatic, cinematic, oh God, it was just it was so tone deaf, uh, bad. But I get it. And like, you know, I've heard them on the radio, I've heard Danny and all the others and like I do think the government has fucked over the arts I do think this is terrible I do think that sucks at the same time I'm not devastated to see a behemoth like Picnic which I think has made all the wrong moves approach this inevitable situation this was always going to happen it's just happened a little bit earlier than I thought it would Craig to you yeah and I think Melvin Ben doesn't really help the situation when he's clearly been quite disingenuous for a while like you know he's on RTE with a platform and clearly what he's saying is and I guess you know it's his, it's in his interest he's just doing what he has to do like kind of getting his insurance ducks in a row I would imagine um, like to par- you can paraphrase all of his quotes just as la 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 I'm not listening going ahead I'm not seeing any of the warning signs and yeah so he was very much shaking the um Craig on Kanye approach to, and maybe Craig on Jab's approach of just bullishness and, um, you know, maybe irresponsible optimism. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's a ridiculous state of affairs where there's just, the messaging has been terrible, the information from the government. It's a total shambles. And I, I just, I just see this being an ongoing conversation well into winter. Um, I can see things not gearing up properly until the new year. And it's really, really sad because it's people's livelihood. And um, yeah, I, I'm glad we have Melvin, though, as kind of a figure of fun, just to ease things slightly. And um, those bong hits, man, <laughs> took me back to February 2020, Amsterdam. Hits from the bong. <laughs> I, yeah, I do wonder if he'll, if he'll shrink away now, though, or if he'll just double down, because it's just like... <laughs> 
It's been incredible. Like kind of dormant, like, like <laughs> Sauron or something. I've, I've come to love him, though. You know, like like just yeah. seeing that like that quote there. Like, and because there was another thing where he said, like, you know, if the vaccination rollout in Ireland was up like for the Olympic Games in Tokyo, it would win gold. And I'm like, what a wonderful tie-in. Um, yeah, it's terrible. The, the government have been slow off the mark for the arts in this country the entire time. Like, you look back at like the pilot events. Like, what was the fucking point? What did There's they do? No point. It was pure PR. Um, a nice event for kind of people in the know as well. There was nothing happening there that would, you know, they say it's experimental. Experimental for what? A hypothetical scenario that they were never going to implement. It was just, again, disingenuous is the word. Yeah, especially when you're talking about like presenting a version of Picnic with full capacity, like that's not to 200 in a country that like is is behind. I know, I know the vaccine roller has stepped up and like we're sitting here with our kind of post-jab wooziness being like, well, hey, but like it's still like quite the gamble to be like, well, we can't have, you know, uh, bands play at weddings. We can't have acoustic singer songwriters in pubs, but let's just throw 70,000 people into a field and see what happens. It's like, really? I mean, like when I was doing the radio during the week, like there was a, a listener who emailed in and kind of was saying that like, like all these European festivals have it, like why don't we? And like the answer to all these questions is because of the Irish government. Like the Irish government is famously behind the times on quite literally everything. And the, the thing that does piss me off, and I've said this before and I'll say it again, is it's one thing to be shit with this. It's quite another to then sell the country on the backs of the hard work of musicians, filmmakers, poets, dancers, singers, dreamers, you name it. And then when it comes to a situation where they're vulnerable and they need money, you know, it's like doors closed to them all the time, emails unignored and people just not getting the help that they need. And in an unprecedented scenario like this one, it's retrain, get a job, no communication, no nothing. It is a very dark situation. I am sympathetic to the musicians involved. At the same time, I don't like what Electric Picnic has become over the last few years. I can't help but think there's a certain amount of shot and fraud involved here and I don't mourn it. So look, you know, it's maybe the government's fault more than Picnic's fault, but they could have been better on the messaging and I feel bad for people who bought tickets and held onto their money thinking they were getting a festival when they clearly, clearly were not. But who knows? Yeah. Could all change there's in the a week. lot of there's a lot of sympathetic faces. There's thousands of sympathetic faces to this whole shambles. Uh, Melvin Bennett probably isn't one of them. But um, we should point out that you are still free to dream, I believe. The government has said that's that's okay. Well, they've banned so dancing, Craig. You know, that's the thing that everyone's upset about. And everyone's like, oh, it's like Footloose. And I'm like, well, it is. We will dance again, Dave. Well, it's also a highly transmissible virus. Maybe we shouldn't be dancing into each other right now. I know I sound like a narc. But I'm just saying. Now, listen, when we talk about big things and behemoths and, you know, lots and lots of money, uh, we we turn the conversation to Rihanna and we send her our congratulations. Uh, no, I'm afraid not. Um, there has been talk of a new album for the last five years yet to emerge um, as Craig looks forlorn down the zoom lens. But cheer yourself up with this good news, buddy. Uh, Rihanna has become one of the world's greatest at hoarding immense wealth. She's now officially a billionaire and we stan a queen who can do that. I think she's Yay. now worth $1.7 billion. Uh, thanks mostly to the huge success of her Fenty beauty line. Um, yeah. So she's doing very well. Um, the article I read this on noted that she emerged from a building with ASAP Rocky, who I believe they're an item these days. Um, and it said... Uh, for ASAP? Appearing together in the Bronx, Rihanna and Rocky reportedly strode out of a building before embracing in what looked like a scene from a forthcoming music video. 
or maybe they were just hanging out it together because they were a couple. Was. Well, I don't know. It was genuinely confusing. But um, I'm of the opinion that we shouldn't have billionaires, no matter how cool they are. So sorry, Rihanna, you're on the list. Communist now, are you? Yeah, I've gone that way. <laughs> That's who I am these days. Yeah, I agree. Rihanna's not the worst, though, I would say. She seems to do a lot of work for charity and the system is broken and we're all fucked. <laughs> okay, that's uh, neatly summed up. Uh, she's more tolerable than others. Noel Gallagher, for example, um, in what seems like one of the most inevitable conclusions of all time, Noel Gallagher has been given his own radio show. Where has he landed on the airwaves, Craig? Radio X. <laughs> <laughs> radio Excellent, I think you'll find, is the... Uh, yeah, do you reckon it was a bidding war between uh, Radio X and like Planet Rock? <laughs> radio, absolute radio, radio Nova. Absolute yeah. 90s rock. Absolute Britpop, I think, would have been a good place for him. So what's going on here? He's taking his, basically taking his podcast to the airwaves. Is that what he's doing? It's, it's that show he did before. Yeah, it's going to be called The System is Broken and We're All Fucked. No, it's called The Radio X Residency. And he's got Matt Morgan on board, who... Um, Listeners may remember from the clip of um, him trying to talk down Noel when he was just like, Mass, don't do anything. This is all nonsense. And he's like, no, no, actually, they, you know, they do help and blah, blah, blah. So I guess he will be, do- be doing that every Sunday night from now on. He's, um, the f- I think, former comedic partner of Russell Brand. So he's kind of used to that kind of thing. He's actually really funny as well, but I don't think I'll be joining in. Well, it's a classic press release because it says, you know, like, they'll be bringing their, you know, unique banter to the airwaves and it says, putting the world to rights, which is just such a <laughs> dated expression. Like, uh, I don't know. You want me tuning in? No, no intrigue whatsoever, no? Uh, no, I think I'm set with um, talk sport, to be honest. <laughs> My talk sport listening habits are you still by late matches. Are you still going no, for runs at night? The, I haven't since the World Cup. Um, that was my excuse. You don't need to coverage as a gateway drug. Don't don't be one of those people. Don't be like, like, uh, you see this article every summer where someone like writes a column and says, you know, I'm very, I'm I'm very intelligent. I'm an intellectual, but you know, I kind of like Love Island. It's like, no, just, just, you like it. Like, like, it's okay to say that you like trash. Like I watch professional wrestling. Like, like, like it's, you don't have to dress it up with some kind of, well, I'm only watching it ironically. It's like, no, you're not. (laughs) I only listen to talk sport for the sport. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Uh, You've uh, you selected the next story, which is a story that I saw during the week and I, I overlooked and I said, I bet Craig will pick it. And you did. What is it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Goldie on Mars. <laughs> now, who is Goldie for some of our younger listeners? He's a drum and bass pioneer, um, a fixture of the 90s. Um, I believe he was hanging out with Noel Gallagher as well at um, at the Eurofinals with Stormzy and Mick Jagger, apparently. They had that is an incredible supergroup. No masks involved, I'd imagine. Um, but why I like this story, Dave, is because it's kind of harkening back to those adorable conspiracy theories. Do you know what I mean? It's kind of the wackier side of things where it's, it's not doing any harm. Goldie suggested that humans could be direct descendants of aliens, which actually, you know, there could be a lot of truth in that. He's um, theorised that... Otherworldly ancestors could have lived on Mars long before Earth became inhabited by humankind, which, you know, it's 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 a bit out there, but okay. He was talking to the Daily Star, which of course, I, this is how I came across the story. I had my print copy, good to go. I was just flicking through. Yeah, what I happens, sorry, like, like, I, know, I know it's tough times in the world now, but like when you, when you go into the shop to buy your copy of the Daily Star on a, on a regular basis, uh, if they don't have one, what do you go for instead? Because I know you're a famed tabloid man. Uh, I'd never go for the sun, but anything else is fine. Sure. Um, but yeah, no, it's, you know, it's no shame in having a bit of talk sport on the background as you sit down with your Daily Star and your um, full English breakfast, mate. Your Union Jack mug. Why not? 
the quotes go a little off the rails, I will say. No. Um, yeah, so here they are. To quote, Humans can't live in space because that's where negative energy comes from and we implode, note to self. Okay. And our ancestors used to live there. Mars is like an old fucking gaff we used to live at. It's an old fucking house party. I always get that weird thing when people start saying, oh, here we go with aliens, but we are aliens. We are a manifestation of power, energy in the universe. It's manifested itself in one consciousness. Where do we come from? We are the manifestation of an infinite universe in infancy. Which is, um... Yeah, I mean, it's a nice thought. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It sounds like lyrics or something. That's, I, I was reading the story during the week and I got to that point and I thought, maybe this is a bit, maybe he's not really playing with a full deck. I don't know. Um, I mean, you mentioned musicians and UFOs, though. It's been a long running kind of thing. Tom DeLong, of course, has been almost vindicated sometimes about his pro-UFO stance. Um, I would say 100% vindicated okay, by well, NASA and the US government. And, it, it, um, <laughs> it's open to interpretation, I would say. Um, the reason I mention his name is because he reunited with Mark Hoppus for Mark Hoppus's radio show uh, during the week. And not, not the most newsworthy thing in terms of what they talked about, but the fact that they're talking at all is yeah. newsworthy. And they kind of reflected on that. They were like, we haven't talked for like five years. But obviously, this comes in the wake of Mark Hoppus's cancer diagnosis. And we spoke recently before about how his former Blink-182 bandmate Tom DeLong reached out and, you know, made public statements backing him. And uh, it was just a very nice thing to see, um, as was this, and kind of like make you realise that at the end of the fucking day, you know, in these situations, you know, the, the animosity doesn't really mean anything. The most important thing is that the guys kind of got back together in this yeah. way. I actually haven't heard the audio yet. I'm looking forward to it. But um, I think for a lot of Blink fans in particular who would have grown up on the camaraderie of that group, this is kind of the best possible thing that could have come out of the current situation with Mark Hoppus. So Agreed. Uh, just a feel-good story to close off the new section. Now, of course, Blink-182 are very, very famous men, and most musicians who have success attain fame along with it. It can go good, it can go bad, and sometimes it can be the subject of a second album from a pop star who has absolutely dominated the radio your Spotify's, your Apple Music's, whatever, over the last few years. Your Rooney's, your Ronaldo's. Your, <laughs> uh, your Tevez's, your Berbatov's, whatever. In it joke is, there, Tony. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You don't need a searchlight to see that one. But um, no. anyway, the spotlight is incredibly bright for Billie Eilish. She's back. She says she's happier than ever. I'm not so sure. Let's take a listen to the new album. Pretty on the 34th of the year. I can barely go outside. I think I hate it here. Maybe I should think about a new career. Somewhere in Kauai where I can disappear I've been having fun, getting older now Didn't change my number, made him shut his mouth At least I gave him something he can cry about I thought about my future, but I want it now Somber stuff there from Billie Eilish. Um, kind of picked that one for a reason, as it is indicative of the overall tone of this record. It's a 16-track album. Craig, uh, primer-wise for a change, not who is Billie Eilish, because I think we all know, specifically, and in light of this record, who is Billie Eilish in 2021? Um, she's, I guess we should lead with a 19-year-old, um, established as a star, massively successful, and yeah, she's been dealing with everything that brings for sure since her debut came out and you know even in just recent months we've seen social media controversies um which a lot of which just to me looked like again disingenuous stuff being leveled at a pretty honest progressive by all accounts very nice teenager and just like outrage culture where five tweets 
um, latch onto something and suddenly it's an article, that kind of stuff. There's been a lot of talk about her body image and her body, um, which, you know, is another problem. She's apparently had a lot of trouble with stalkers, so there's real world kind of safety concerns. And this is all because of that debut, uh, When We All Fall Asleep, Where Do We Go? Where, you know, just the accolades have been massive. Billboard number one, um, seven Grammys, I think Best New Artist, Record of the Year, Album of the Year, Song of the Year. She's done the new Bond theme for that Bond film we still haven't seen. And she's just been coping, I guess, coping quite publicly. We've had those kind of Vanity Fair interviews um, since 2017, I believe, um, where it's just kind of looking at how burgeoning fame has been sitting with her um, one year apart with the same kind of interview. And it's been pretty um, bracing to see, you know, along with changing hair colours, just almost like watching someone deal with the bends or something, just you know, that really apparent impact of that kind of swift and enormous ascent. Um, there's a Disney Plus um, documentary concert thing, Happier Than Ever, co- coming out as well in September. It's to rem- promote this, you know, potentially difficult second album. Um, my future at the single arrived over a year, year ago. And yeah, her, so her world is kind of topsy-turvy, but she does say, as you pointed out just before the clip, um, you know, she's at a point where she knows what she's about in the studio. She's being kind of sequestered away once again with her older brother Phineas um, in his basement, apparently. And, you know, she revealed she hated the entire process of the debut album. That seems to have been replaced by a kind of confidence, a sure-footedness in her artistry. Um to hopefully give us something that she says is altogether more natural. So, yeah, Dave, let's review an album. Have at it. That's what we do. Um, is it altogether more natural? I'm not sure. My first impressions of this one, I on, on, on my very first listen, I think I texted Dahi and I said, first impressions of the, of the album are really good. Um, I thought it was very, very immediate, like kind of in, like immediate thing. I mean, I, I avoided a lot of the recent singles as best I could because I, I kind of take the same application towards film trailers for a film I, I want to see. I don't want to see the trailer anymore if I can help it because it just spoils everything. Uh, and if it's an artist that I'm interested in, unless it's like, you know, one of like my most favorite artists like you know if Nine Inch Nails released a song tomorrow Step Not released a song tomorrow I'm going to eat it up of course but where possible especially with the context of us going to be reviewing an album down the line I like to kind of hold off um, and as you say My Future came out a long time ago I think it's a great song it's got beautiful 90s kind of late night radio vibes to it um, and I heard another another couple but I was doing my best to kind of just get out of the Billy Eilish hype train until the album arrived um, so it's interesting because like uh, at the weekend I was home, it was my father's 75th birthday and I was talking to my niece who is, uh, 18. So she's almost 19. And I said in passing, I was like, you know, wait, listen to it at the moment. And she was saying that like the Billy Eilish album is crap. She was like, it's really boring. It's depressing. And I was like, that's interesting. Cause like, that's obviously her target market. Um, and I saw a lot of reviews that were very, very positive. And I saw one on Stereogum that was quite negative saying that it was actually a very, a sludgy, um, sad, depressing listen. And fair enough, you know, she's being honest and she's using her truth and that's great. But for a listener experience, it isn't great. And with each new listen of the record over the course of the week, that's kind of where I came to. I think there are some great songs on here. I think her command remains remains really impressive. I remember when we reviewed the first album, or, or if, we, if we were talking about any song that would come out, I was saying that like her hit rate is incredible. It was almost like almost everything she was doing had turned to gold. That's gone. Um, I think the honeymoon period's over for sure. There are songs in here that are there's some identifiable duds, um, but it's a weird album. 
I'm very fascinated to see how it will play with her fan base because, I mean, it's it's dark because it has to be because she's reflecting on her life and her life is difficult and it's so overwhelming that I don't understand how she gets on with it quite frankly and more fucking power to her but if you're centering an entire album around that theme and you're really making it quite claustrophobic it does wear you down and I was worn down by it again we deal with the age-old problem of a modern day pop album being way too long 16 tracks just doesn't need to be the first one was too, I think. I don't know if that's a contractual thing, if that's what she's about, but I just find that to be a pretty boring symptom of modern pop, no matter who's doing it. Um, this was a difficult album, to the point where, today, I simply couldn't listen to it again. I've had enough. I don't think it's bad. I'm not against it. I'm probably going to give it a decent score. But I thought it was a very... I thought it was a genuinely a difficult second album. What did you think? Yeah, I think, you know, if I was her manager, I'd tell her, lose the brother, get Jack Antonoff in, um, <laughs> clean you sound, tasteful palace. <laughs> um, now, do you know what? Actually, uh, in reality, I think I had the reverse experience of you. Interesting. Where, yeah, I, I was not concerned. I wasn't worried, but I was wondering from my initial listen um, how they were kind of handling moving on from such a distinctive debut sound. And, you know, coming into it, I was chiefly wondering if Phineas had more production tricks in his arsenal and Billy used such a distinctive voice and it's such a thing, you know, was there scope for more albums of that kind of thing? And I think actually from repeated listens, what they've done in quite a smart way is like eased up on some of the tricks, the production stuff. Um, I think by and large, yes, it's long, but it's kind of an exercise in restraint a lot of the time. Um, you know, we've moved to kind of more jazziness and soothing synths, whereas once we got like trap and kind of sonic schlock tactics and stuff, which was thrilling at the time, was brilliant. But I think wisely they're not retreading that for diminishing returns. I think it hangs together quite well. There's definite slow stretches where I lose interest. Uh, I agree. Just true, like thematic repetition for sure. And occasionally that restraint does give way to like the beige palette of the cover art, which was like my concern of like, are we getting into some like just a loose slickness? My first listen through, I was like, are it, you know, this is maybe slightly too tasteful. There's those torchy ballads of the kind of Bond excursion. Um, the closely mic'd murmurings of her vocals were a bit more jaded and heavy lidded. So it felt, I felt that heaviness that I think you did maybe on your fifth listen. Um some of the numbers seemed like they might be easy to telegraph, like Billy Bossanova, for example, which is just like right out of the gate. I was like, okay, it's kind of label. You give a demo. Is this, you know, it's kind of meta. It's a genre exercise. It could signal like a dirt of ideas, but actually getting into it, it was a bit of an understated joy. It laid concerns and my repeated listens kind of started allaying concerns. I think from where I'm at at this point, the writing is strong. I think the writing is strong throughout. It's mostly terribly sad, for sure. It's a bummer. Um, but I think there's progression there on the debut. Um, it's a slow burn. It's a rewarding listen to my ears. And it's kind of like deceptively subdued. It's very much on the brink. Um, and maybe that's kind of what you're experiencing as well, where it's like there is this kind of bristling tension to the quiet Whereas at times it doesn't really feel like, it doesn't give you too often the release of pop music. So you feel like you're really in something and it might be tough to go back to for that reason. Um, but I think when she does kind of burst through and there's those sonic bursts and they mix things up, um, 
the kind of show your quote unquote like boundary pushing moments they make for a kind of sublime highlight reel I think right from the opener um, those like primitive autobahn synths are great from the line that thing of like she's talking about you know the strangers that are interested in her and she has that kind of like you know they're usually deranged um, an intake of breath and it's like okay we're off there's the vulnerability but she's still witty and kind of spiky and there's a clutch of really really strong songs here which I keep coming back to I think NDA was a good selection I think that warped weirdness is great and even on the songs where it's a bit more low-key, I think she finds ways to expand on it and do interesting things. The title track is kind of like felt on initial listens like a bit of a model and drag, um, this kind of pretty 1950s curio. But then you've got that kind of, it turns into like a stadium metal roar. It's like, you know, something maybe Axl Rose would approve of. I don't know if that's, that's probably not a compliment. It's intended as one though. It's got that bit crush explosion at the end. It's just really kind of bracing stuff. Like I didn't change my number. Um, I think she's still on point with that stuff. Oxytocin is another all timer really like that kind of subterranean, almost like cranial techno thing that's going on. Um, you mentioned the 90s. Like, I think on a song like that, I was thinking of, this could be like a Trent song, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah, but you know, like, when she but hits it, she really hits it, man. I have to step in, because like, I mean, I like that song a lot, Oxytocin, yeah. And, and it's it's ticking those boxes for me. It's scratching those itches for me. But it's also, it's kind of little Aldi Nine Inch Nails, is it not? Like, it's just kind of like, yeah, like this is just like, it's it's what I would expect of. If someone said, this is a Billy Otto song and it sounds like Nine Inch Nails, it's exactly what I think it would sound like. It's not a bad but thing, I don't, but I don't think it's I don't think inventive. It's, but I don't think it's, it's, you know, because it's maybe slightly less obviously abrasive, but I think like the attitude it's of it. I it's like more, it. I do like it. attitude and like the kind of acceleration of it. Um, yeah. And this isn't me being like, oh, well, she can't play in that because she's already done that well before on the first album. So like she can do it. I like the kind of industrial touches. Um, but yeah, I mean, like take a song like um, Not My Responsibility, which is a spoken word song. Doesn't and, work. Yeah. Uh, well, I think it works in the sense that, I mean, it's, it's very much a listen once and then keep skipping it. If anyone hasn't heard so, the album yeah. yet, this is a song in which it's very slow. It's moody and it's mostly spoken word thing very breathy and she's literally like listing all of the criticism she's received particularly from an image-based point of view and a sexist point of view and a misogynist point of view and how that like you know that's ridiculous and fuck that yada yada and like i'm torn because like one uh it's a very important statement to make especially now especially in like a kind of a post-britney situation or whatever and with that in mind you have a lot of young listeners, I'm conscious of a lot, of, like a lot of young female listeners will hear this and they'll need to hear it. And it's great to have that message out there and for her to use her platform this way. And that's more important than a music critic like me being like, this song doesn't quite work and I'm going to, and I'm going to skip it every single time from now on because that's where it goes and that's what it does. But ultimately, it yeah. makes it, it makes for a tough listening experience. Like, I mean, like it, it's, it's, it's great that it exists, but again i mean like what is the album versus what is the statement and like in fairness like on an overall level though as well beyond just that even that one song i feel bad saying that it's an alienating experience because i don't want to be reductive and i don't want to say that the pain of a young artist um is not valid because it, it it really is valid and especially come from her i think she captures it very well i think she is one of the most fearless artists we have i think she's still very interesting I just feel that this album might be a little bit too murky for its own good. I mean, it could be one of those ones that we look back on even in six months 
I'm like, I'm like, no, actually, that was actually an incredibly profound thing to do. I think it is an incredibly profound thing to do. I just don't know how enjoyable it is. And again, I accept that it's me potentially missing the point and not her. Um, not my responsibility. I agree with you on probably because it is spoken word and it just feels like this could be something that's posted on Instagram. Uh, I was listening to a clip of Father John Misty, just on like YouTube shuffle or whatever he was doing some interview for pure comedy and I, I just caught my ear but he was talking he was asked like you know those songs are very much about like the existential crisis we're all going through in the state of the world and the interviewer was saying you know is it tough to kind of get on stage and sing those songs because it's stuff you're clearly thinking a lot about and it must be very heavy and his point was like well no because that's the great thing about music it's like you can take those things and through singing it and making it musical it takes on a totally different thing and it transforms and it's alchemy really and I think when you do a kind of spoken word pretty straight statement you're losing some of that because I think she makes those points on other songs in kind of more inventive ways but maybe she just felt she had to be plain spoken about it and enough people have come at her that she can she can totally take the time to do that um I think I've reached a point where I do think this is I think it's this album's been the right move for her. I think artistically it 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 is working for me. And on the kind of trend stuff and the 90s stuff. I think I said it when we reviewed the debut and I was like I was drawing parallels with her and maybe Kurt Cobain just in terms of her attitude or maybe it was like a a Gen X kind of black irony that just she takes on which is um I think separates her a lot from some of her contemporaries from like, you know, a lot of artists that are more um, purely kind of socially conscious and utterly heartfelt in a occasionally orchestrated way that, you know, you hear in a lot of supposedly confessional pop. I think she does something different and it reminds me of a lot of kind of um, outspoken greats from different eras. Um and that's what I'm kind of hearing here. And I, I'm like, I just think overall she has better ideas than a lot of her peers. Um, even when it's heavy, um, the lyrics there are kind of constantly catching my ear. Whether it's like, you know, she's wondering if her dates read her interviews or her take towards the end on like, you know, she's like, <laughs> that great idea of like, she can't even get solace in like pornography because so much porn is made through like a skewed male gaze. I just think that's really kind of interesting. And for such an, like a sad album, there was plenty of points where I had paused to kind of like chuckle and, you know, kind of in a resigned, jaded Craig way, but be it the imagery, be it the sonics, um, she's an artist, her and Phineas, where I come away from the songs kind of going, huh, you know, like I never quite thought of it like that, or I wasn't quite expecting that, um, which I don't get, I think we get in a lot of pop at the moment where, you know, quite banal tropes still reign supreme and it was ever kind of thus, but, um, yeah, I, I think, you know, it was it was a tough ask following up the debut um, to kind of maintain that shock and awe we had at like Second Blush is really tough. But I think it's still there. And even just looking at the track listing on Wikipedia, just prepping for this, it was really refreshing as well. Just where you see at the top, it's like, you know, all songs, Billy Eilish and Phineas, uh, what is it, O'Connell? And you didn't have beside every song like 10 different writers. <laughs> I think, you know, I, I don't have a problem with... Um, pop songwriting and you know workshopping stuff and it's produced a lot of great stuff but I think just the two of them doing it together it gives it a kind of singularity there's a chemistry there that really kind of maintained my interest for this album um I think they have a lot to say and it's a bit kind of ephemeral but I think they've got a creative gift and it's I'm I'm hooked into this album 
Uh, I'm at a place where I'm going to go back to this album quite a bit. I would give it an eight. So that's where I'm at in my listening journey with it. Listen, I love jaded, resigned Craig. So let's just <laughs> let's just let's just get that down on paper straight away. Uh, I don't love this album, but I I believe that I could come to a point where I do. I'm curious to see how it will age as the year goes on. I expect it probably will be in my albums of the year at some point. I just think that right now at this moment. I think it's a little bit too tangled up for its own good. And I know I'm a broken record, but I think we could lose five or six tracks. So I'm going to go 6.5. It is a recommend, but I was, I was surprised by how my relationship went from, you know, I was my first listen. I was like, this is, this is an easy eight. And then the more I critically listened That's into mad it. That's me. Yeah. It's well, so interesting that it, but, yeah. I'm, but I'm glad we disagree. We agree too much. Yeah. Totally. So maybe, maybe we won't agree on the top five. Who knows? It is top five time. We both had this idea. Craig came uh, to me with it, though. So why don't you tee it up, man? Top five. Songs about fame. Yeah. Um, It's a good one because there's lots of them, chiefly. uh, Because I think at a certain point, it becomes, you know, you said the good, the bad and the ugly. At a certain point, it's all some artists can write about. And I think the uninspired end of that spectrum is like it gets very navel-gazy, unrelatable, um, existing in a bubble. Um. I think Billie Eilish navigated that quite well on this album. Um, people can have a listen themselves. But yeah, um, to me, you know, if if you're a truly kind of great artist with the self-awareness to like dissect this surreal situation you find yourself in, there's great material there to tap into because it's like the extremes of like mass adoration, but also the isolation. And it's like, yeah, it's like very human emotions just amplified. And it's a gift for storytellers too, right? It's like the rise and fall arc. Um it goes way back. There's a long history of it. Like the birds were doing. Um, so you want to be a rock and roll star back in like 1967 and already had a kind of jaundiced view of the industry. And it's it's kind of spiked off from there. Into it's, there's been a fork and road where you get a lot of, you know, you've got your Oasis-esque um, bangers, <laughs> slow plotting bangers where it's like braggadocia and like mythologizing rock and roll stardom. Hip hop songs do that quite a lot as well, to be fair. And then the other route is like, you know, your cautionary tales and your caustic self-examination. I wonder which we'll prefer, Dave. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, why don't you kick it off and and set the tone? Okay, um, this song is caustic (laughs) self-examination. It's uh, a bespectacled um, indie pin-up well into his 30s. He was trying to adjust to being the third biggest Britpop star. Maybe Fort. Here it is. This is Hardcore, taken from This is Hardcore, uh, a 1998 album from Pulp. That was, um, of course, Jarvis Cocker um, dealing with a lot of stuff. He'd He's talked about it in the years since. And, you know, it's, 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 he's like he had that moment where all of his wildest dreams came true. He was a big star after famously having like years in the wilderness throughout the 80s. He was in... Um, I was going to say indie bands, but it was just pulp. They released loads of albums and nothing was happening. And suddenly the world caught up with them and um, a different class really took off. Um, Number one albums. This was the number one album in the UK. And it's at a a point where things start getting very weird for him. And he's just, he's been wallowing in the fame a bit. He's been, I guess, taking advantage of it. And 
I think within a few months, he was just like, all right, I'm sick of all these late nights and uh, people recognising me. I'm going to make a fucking, uh, like a seedy, uh, you know, glamour gone, slightly gaudy. Again, we're in kind of Bond territory where it's just like a worn out Bond song. Um, and yeah, lyrically, you can hear there, he um, he's basically, you know, doing a commentary on fame using pornography as like an analogy. Um, there was a quote there from him where he was saying, yeah, so he, when he was on tour around this time, he, he admitted, he was like, yeah, I ended up watching a lot of porn. If you get back to the hotel and you've got nothing to do, put on the adult channel and have a look. It's the way the people get used up in it, he said. So you'd see the same people in films and they'd seem to be quite alive. And then you'd see a film from a year later and there's something gone in their eyes. Uh, you can see it, that they've done it all and there's nowhere else to go. And he said, yeah, there seemed to be something really poignant about that to him um, and very similar to the way people just get used up in the entertainment business. And he felt he reached a point where he's just like, this is all completely meaningless. This isn't what I expected at all. And I'm going to be like yesterday's news tomorrow. Um, So I'm just going to do something a bit more experimental, um, have my say and not kind of deliver another common people. Um, That album as well is really good but it's kind of weird i think the lead i'm not sure if this was the lead single um this might have been the second single help the aged was one of the singles which is just like a pop song about being nice to older people such a weird Uh, song (laughs) yeah it really is it's the first single as well there's a great song dishes which is like the opening line of that is like i am not jesus though i have the same initials i'm the man who stays home and does the dishes (laughs) who's on top form (laughs) the perfect person i think he wants to become famous and then tell us about it you know what i mean he's like a kind of pop star louis theroux or something just kind of like having a look at how it's all going and yeah shit got weird yeah like jarvis cocker feels like an accidental pop star in the sense of like it it shouldn't it shouldn't really happen i know what you're saying like i mean it it's great kind of grist for the mill, I suppose, in terms of the satire he can conjure up out of it. But also, oh God, I mean, like if, if he was like, can't walk down the street famous, I'm sure he is to a degree. It depends on the street he's walking down, I suppose. But like, yeah. oh God, like, no, like it, it, some people just shouldn't be of that level of fame. I mean, much like we shouldn't have billionaires. I mean, like, should we have famous people? That's a whole other debate. But my number five selection is a much more, I think, conventional avatar of fame and occasionally has the odd great song, I think this is one of them. This life's not easy And I'm made out of steel Don't forget that I'm human Don't forget that I'm real Just act like you know me But you never will But that's one thing that I know for sure I'll show you well, yes, it's a troubled pop sensation, Justin Bieber, uh, famous from a, too young of an age, really, I, I guess you would argue. Uh, the song is I'll Show You, and it's taken from his album in 2015 called Purpose. I've said it before and I'll say it again. I think Purpose by Justin Bieber has like a bulletproof opening five track run. It's outrageous. <laughs> and Adam Shanahan, by the way, Sonic Architect of the Stars, did say when I when I when he dropped this at number five, he said he came on came on Mike and said, "World class pick, Dave. I want you to know." And I'm like, "Yeah, thanks, buddy." <laughs> um, the opening five tracks of Purpose, man. Mark my words. I'll show you. What do you mean? Sorry and love yourself. That's 
pretty fucking strong and i should say back in the day i was head stuff music editor um and joshua hughes our good friend joshua hughes was writing reviews for me and he wrote a review of purpose he gave a five out of ten he wasn't mad about it although i know he has since come to love those first five tracks for example and i remember this when i was like ripping off i was doing my best rip off the av club headline style and i think my headline that i came up for the review was like you know Justin Bieber's, you know, bold reinvention isn't fit for purpose because I'm very clever. Uh, also very clever, Lovely Craig. Stuff. Is this world class? <laughs> <laughs> world class, mate. Um, yeah, this song rules. Uh, I love the melancholy of it. I love the musical arrangement. I think it's gorgeous. Um, what's interesting, though, about Bieber is that, like, I mean, I simultaneously feel incredibly sorry for the guy because, again, growing up in public way too young that way, the world handed to him way too soon. <clears throat> We've seen a lot of the kind of public controversies he's been involved with some of which are indefensible some of which are just kind of goofy um i remember seeing him on tour on this world tour in was it the rds outdoor or something and he was just wearing like a t-shirt and shorts he had his hands in his pockets he was so miserable he was so clearly exhausted he did like a big drum solo thing at one stage for like 10 minutes and all his young fans were like when's he gonna sing again i think he might have been lip syncing i'm not entirely sure uh that was the night that josh and dahi bought like a very cool t-shirt of his and i think they spent yeah. like 50 quid on it or something and dahi left his you, in defontaine was it dahi it was dahi yeah. yeah i think josh kept his josh. um but like it's <laughs> just like, accidentally i should say he wasn't disgusted <laughs> by the gig but it was a weird experience and i remember around that time as well i mean uh this is i think it was towards the end he was on like an insane world tour i think it was like over a year long if not more and i remember he cancelled like uh, adam is saying possibly even two years um he cancelled like the last few dates of this tour citing exhaustion and i remember of all fucking people uh aforementioned brezzy went on twitter and was like this is so disrespectful like the crew members yada 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 and i i, I think i like quoted him or something and i was like uh, real nice understanding of mental health there, man, considering yeah. his whole gimmick. Um, but it's just like, <sighs> Bieber can be an absolute wanker, but I think he is someone who has been completely spoiled by fame, and uh, as in, like, it has ruined him. Um, to the point where, like, even musically, like, I haven't heard that new album from this year at all. I've yet to get to it. Justice, I think it's called. Adam has given me the cutthroat signal, as in it's not good. Um, there's a moment, I'm loving Adam's investment in Justin Bieber. I wasn't aware he, so was, he was as invested as he is, and, I, and I'm loving it too. Um, I think the song is best summed up by a review in Consequence of Sound. A journalist said that, um, although it said was positive about Bieber's quote-unquote creamy voice, uh, declaring that it begs for sympathy in a way that simultaneously makes you feel sorry for Bieber's lost childhood and repulsed by his blindness to his own immense privilege. And I think that that's what Justin Bieber is. He's this very difficult contradiction who occasionally will give you some genuinely great music, but also is incredibly problematic. And I kind of feel, and this is a very grand statement. I, I, I'm not, I'm not going to, I'm not going to say it's not his fault. He's a grown man, but like, I can't imagine what the last, 12 whatever years have been like for him no matter how much money he's made or whatever i i just think that like sometimes and billy eilish is an example of someone who you don't want to be swallowed up this way and hopefully she's able to just kind of disassociate in a positive way here and there there's a monster there and it's and, and it can be extremely difficult to feed and i and i and are I, you talking about justin bieber i'm talking about fame man i'm talking, <laughs> yeah, I'm talking about like, like and i'm talking about bieber yeah i'm talking about like you know like like it's this album is like simultaneously has some incredibly beautiful cold pop music but he is simultaneously its greatest strength and its strangest robot like it's like who's the real guy is he just a machine because that's what he comes across on this record but those showings of heart are genuinely affecting all the more because 
there's just something really, really askew underneath the surface here. Yeah. Well, you you mentioned Billy Eilish there, and didn't he kind of apparently break down in the- tears at the thought of just like what she was going to go through, and like just from that perspective? So there's a lot going on there. Um, yeah. Did we create this Justin Bieber person? Um, probably. Like he could have ended up the you know King Joffrey of pop. But I think at the moment he's, what's it, the Neymar of pop, which is probably on balance far better. So this song is great. He's in his weekend bag. That's all you need. Okay, my number four. And this is a controversial one, possibly. I bumped Karen Carpenter's glorious voice for these lads. Um, it's another angelic voice, though, in fairness. And a band occasionally derided on this show. Um, but I didn't back up my Franz Ferdinand boys with um, songs named after people after you include them in uh, worst second albums. There's a drubbing there. So I'm setting the record straight on some contemporaries of theirs. from uh, 2004's classic Aha Shake Heartbreak uh, go on Dave you've got to love those drums right undeniable the, and, um, if I may we gave them a very fair shake on the the recent review yeah, of and their also, last album this is a genuinely album. great song I, I do love this song, yeah I know so. you do actually like this song um, and yeah this takes me back this was a time when I was buying The Enemy Weekly I think so my <laughs> first hearing of this song was probably reading their fucking review of this track and then like maybe taking in a glitchy 30 second clip of it online and then eventually seeing it on MTV too. Um, but it did dawn on me this week. I wasn't going to include them, but it dawned on me that the two songs from Kings of Leon that I always like big up as like they were legit for a moment in time is this and Fans from Because of the Times, which was the next album. And they both deal with fame. Um, you know, they're kind of indie rock fame in pretty, I think, compelling ways for that kind of band. Um, they're great pop songs first and foremost and you know Caleb Followell lead singer isn't like Dylan there's no real huge dissection of the fame game but I think their imagery is kind of super sharp the perspective is um, striking um, particularly at the different stages they kind of catch fame in those songs so like the bucket is ostensibly I think about band's youngest member Jared uh, who's like 17 or 18 at this point joined the band I think at 13 I guess you know through seeing how he was handling the pressure, pitfalls of being a name on this like still kind of glamorous indie rock scene, Caleb's kind of processing his own position. Um, I think lyrically it starts with like their manager's voice, just giving a kind of snapshot of road life and, you know, conversational snatches of how they're kind of bristling against the tour grind. Um, the delivery is great, which helps. And there's a lot of those kind of road weary songs. Um, but I think a song like this renders most of them pointless because it just encapsulates it brilliantly. And it's still kind of opaque. I mean, the kind of 18 balding star, I don't know really what's it. It's kind of reminds me of like a, a kind of matinee idol that's like already passed to sell by date. And by the second verse, it's, it gets a lot darker. There's kind of, you know, you kick the bucket, I'll swing my legs. There's a sweet message behind it all. I think it's just, you know, if anything was to happen to you, Jared, and you get swallowed up, it's happening to me too. And we're in this together as a family and it's surreal, but it's somehow working. And, um, 
we saw kind of what fame did to them as a band and they really embraced it and yeah by fans that track on the next album they're like ready for arenas if not stadiums and doing a song about how surreal it was to be unknowns in their own country but going to the uk and being treated like kings and um that's a surprisingly sweet song as well with some great kind of weird yelping and yodeling which kind of makes it but um yeah they were in a weird position as well where they would go back to i think nashville and like be wearing their tight leather jeans and stuff and their like heels and just getting slagged off as they walked around by like people they probably grew up with just being like where are your overalls man <laughs> he's some kind of pussy and then they would go to the uk and be rock stars which must have been very disconcerting um and i think a song like this really sums it up and it's just a belter yeah no it's it, number four it's a genuinely great song um they're a very interesting band for a lot of reasons and um, they're a band that i've like over time have softened on in terms of like i no longer hate them if i ever hated them obviously sex on fire era like they became oh, yeah. just impossible to get away from yeah. and that was a huge problem their output of course has waned creatively a lot and um, that most recent album that we reviewed like i thought that was a fascinating kind of I guess overall misfire, but you could tell the intention was there. And there's one or two genuinely very good songs on it. You kind of feel like they're never going to get back to this electricity that it's beyond them. And maybe yeah, the maybe the, the the trappings of fame were one of the big reasons for that, like the commerciality of their success and what people expected from them. And just being on that grind probably didn't help them. I mean, like maybe in a different life, they're a band that never left that basement and just like still have, you know, like a small kind of, you know, maybe they're like signed to sub pop somewhere, you know, and they uh, yeah, retained that weirdness. Yeah. We, didn't kind of sand it down to kind of appeal to the masses. Yeah. Which could have been interesting. Uh, number four, I felt like I couldn't do this top five without this person or this song. Yes, it is, of course, Britney Spears. It is, of course, Piece of Me from 2007. We are very much right now in 2021 in the Free Britney era, and we've been talking a lot on the show in recent times about her struggles. I mean, it seems like the latest on that is that she's it's moving forward, hopefully, in a positive manner. She seems to be getting yeah. some tiny semblances of control you know going forward in this kind of thing that she's in but very much still a developing story and we do hope for the best for her uh back in 2007 and it was around this time when of course she was at her most kind of media targeted uh i thought this was a very very good riposte to that i thought it was very kind of sarcastic and clever and cheeky in all the right ways while also being a very good song um and it's from her album blackout which i think is probably her best album i, I think it's got like a lot of bangers on there um but this was like this time period it's it's just a weird thing now to look back on it because it seemed like with a song like this that she was kind of taking the power back and she yeah. was very much like you know sticking it to the man telling the critics to go fuck themselves telling the media to like like just pointing out how vulturous they are and it looked like she was you know stepping up the ladder and of course it has gone in a different way over the last few years which is a very very sad story um but i do think that like it takes on like i, I remember even then like it did feel like a statement and now it feels like a bigger statement, a bigger kind of anthem. Um, looking back on a couple of reviews of this at the time, uh, some curious commentary out there. Uh, 
Bill Lamb of About.com, a website I've never heard of previously, said that Piece of Me makes Michael Jackson's scream sound like a whimper. I love that kind of stuff. Um, <laughs> but closer to home, uh, Chris Wasser, journalist from the Irish Independent, said that the song, quote, drowns slowly under cloggy production and a lyrical theme that for all of its close connection with the trials and tribulations Spears has had to deal with, weren't even penned by the singer who could have very easily recorded her fairly unchallenging input on Blackout in less than a week. Chris, I think you missed the point, man. Sorry. I think the song rules. I think it's one of her better ones. And like I say, I don't think we could do a top five about fame and the good and the bad, and particularly the bad, and not talk about Britney Spears. She has become the avatar uh, unwillingly, and I, I would imagine in lots of ways. I mean, like that documentary that came out this year, I didn't think the documentary was very good, but it does highlight, it does have a chronological timeline of what an icon she was and unfortunately what a poison chalice it turned out to be. Yeah. The context of this is everything and it totally, I, I like the song. Uh, I really liked it at the time, but it's just, it becomes so much darker now. And that that period, and you're right in saying it felt like she was taking the power back. It was the big return. But I do remember Gimme More was the lead single, wasn't it? And she did like a live performance of that where... um. She didn't seem like she had full kind of preparation. I remember a lot of harsh reviews for that at the time and people were like, is she just rushing back? Like she's not kind of putting the work in, blah, blah, blah. And it kind of seems apparent now that she was being rushed back and she probably didn't want to go through it. So it's just such a tangled thing. Um, I think it gives this song more power and hopefully more powers to come for Britney. Um, A good choice. Okay, taking bronze for me. And yeah, uh, you know... keeping in line with the kind of Britney thing, it's one thing being a Jarvis Cocker um, or even a Justin Bieber, but like, you know, a big kind of female star in the industry, it's a tough thing to do. So my number three is a uh, fellow Hot Press alumnus, Dave. Here we go. I'm all I want to be. I walk in Wow, so you're uh, you're just you're just thieving from Sarah Corcoran's recent top five, eh, Craig? Had to include it. Had to include it, dude. It's like Courtney Love to me is just fascinating, and I think she went through a lot of stuff. Um, she was the first person going through a lot of this kind of stuff, and like, sorry, this is. Oh, sorry. This is Celebrity Skin. It's whole. It's taken from a, the album of the same name. And yeah, that really great kind of elemental, incisive kind of metal riff just hooks for days. Courtney loves some great, great songs. Like she really does. Um, to, you know, to the extent that everyone was like, you know, Kurt Cobain must have written these songs. Billy Corgan. Um, I think she said actually Billy Corgan did uh, come up with that riff but to me it's you know all about her unique perspective so vivid and like effective lyrically skewering celebrity and um yeah Courtney Love said of the song once you stood on stage bleeding your schoolgirl poetry are you going to stay there when you have the power and ability to give yourself a platform I mean here's the celebrity and we all know it's stupid and ephemeral but why not foster it why not feed it because all that it will do is give the thing that has substance the art more power and I think there's power in her kind of detachment in a lot of her music Um, it feels quite empowering it's someone who by this point had kind of been through the mill you know grown up around wannabe rock stars and 
Bonafide rock stars. She was, you know, in Liverpool, I think, in the early 80s, hanging around with Julian Cope, her eventual marriage to Kurt Cobain. Um, and the scrutiny they were under um, in the years prior to this, um, addiction issues, then his passing. She was kind of painted as, you know, Yoko Ono gone nuclear. Um, and she occasionally, I guess, doesn't help herself, just win supporters because of how kind of abrasive she can be. But looking back... Um, she just feels like a kind of victim who totally refused to be a victim. And the music was great. And I think people need to go back and listen to it, as Sarah kind of pointed out. It's just like the songs are great. Whole were so slept on. There's great albums there. Celebrity Skins, one of them, lived through this. And yeah, this was a big song at the time. She's got a clutch great ones. Malibu might be my favourite overall, but just that kind of perspective, again, as a kind of like insider but also outsider in hollywood holly weird you might say dave which <laughs> <laughs> is like yeah obviously deriding as vacuous but seeing it as a kind of means to an end i think it's interesting and she's done some interesting work yeah no for sure it's an all-time classic someone who also is pilloried a lot now i mean in fairness there are times when her provocative nature can be wide of the mark and can encourage a backlash um but i think she is an important figure I think she's had some great moments over her career, and this is unquestionably top of the list. Great choice for, for your Olympic bronze medal, you say. Um, mine, so getting on my podium this week, uh, a song <laughs> a song that peaked at 115 in the UK singles charts. Now, if that's not fame, I don't know what is. Craig's favourite band, everybody. song i think that we can all agree insists upon itself but does so in an ironic fashion it is of course losing my edge the debut single from lcd send system craig fitzpatrick a band that you i think have a love-hate relationship with i i am am i right i mean it's a very no encore song (laughs) (laughs) i was on board at this point it was the later years and the deception of the return But um, in keeping with your, you know, your Jarvis's, I think James Murphy, as someone that had been in the industry, was a huge music fan. Um, and then, you know, kind of later in life, I mean, he was early 30s, <laughs> but, you know, kind of has that breakthrough. Again, a man kind of well-placed for an interesting perspective. Yeah. And his perspective is one of like, you know, the like a- almost a time with our no popcorn high fidelity episode. This is like Rob yeah. Gordon doing his DJ nights and he's like, it's that level of fame. It's like kind of, I, I assume in like New York's kind of cool hipster underground places. And it's not, it's not mainstream. It's not American dream. It's not a reissue of, you know, like it's not retiring and then play Madison Square Garden. This is like, those dreams are so far away. This is like, a local hero, I suppose, a local hipster hero, the king of, you know, whatever, and grappling with that and then grappling with like maybe becoming a has-been and being replaced by the next person, that kind of paranoia. So it's that kind of introspective uh, look at fame, which I quite enjoy. And I also just love the song. I've always loved it. I think it's it's smart-alecky in a way that I can not just tolerate, but appreciate. Um, 
so I was here's an interview in which he was talking about the inspiration for the song. He said, uh, James Murphy says, when I was DJing, playing Can, Liquid Liquid, ESG, all that kind of stuff, I became kind of <laughs> cool for a moment, which was a total anomaly. And when I heard other DJs playing similar music, I was like, fuck, I'm out of a job. They're my records. But it was like someone had crept into my brain and said all these words that I hate. Did I make the records? Did I? Fuck. So I started becoming horrified by my own attitude. I had this moment of glory, though. People would use me to DJ just to get them to get them cool. They'd be like, it's the cool rock disco guy. And this was really weird. And to be honest, I was afraid that this newfound coolness was going to go away. And that's where losing my edge comes from. It's about being horrified by my own silliness and then became a wider thing about people who grip onto other people's creations like they're their own. There's a lot of pathos in that character, though, because it's born out of inadequacy and love. In another interview, he said that, like, everyone thought the song was terrible. He was encouraged not to release it. Uh, Only, I think, a member, like the guitarist in his band was like, no, it's great. You should go with it. It was supposed to be a B-side. They went with it as an A-side. And the rest, as I say, Craig, is history. Is James Murphy a good example of fame? I mean, in terms of his arc, we talked about him before. And I again, I encourage anyone who's never heard our top five overrated albums episode to go and check out Craig's thoughts on This Is Happening. It might be my favorite Craig segment on the show ever. Um, his his level of irony, I guess for you, it can only stretch. For me as well, but for you, I think it can, it can only stretch so far, right? Yeah. Um, reading Meet Me in the Bathroom as well and just that whole DFA scene and just how disagreeable he seemed like you know in other people's words he seemed um i'm not going to call him (laughs) indie pops ricky gervais but i think there's been a similar arc where he has um got into kind of nosebleed territory in terms of his fame having started out as that kind of lover of the art and fan of other people and i don't know it's (sighs) I don't really blame him. I don't know. I think, you know, if you were a hardcore music fan and you had the career he went on to have and you were hanging out with David Bowie, if you didn't become insufferable, you would be a saint. And I'm not even saying he's insufferable, but some of the music is to me. No, it's well put. Um, thank you for ruining LC Senses for me, but with the Ricky Gervais comparison, now I'm off to burn all my albums. I actually don't have any on vinyl, but you know, I'd pick this up. What do you got next? <laughs> Um, so this is the ballsy lead single from the most expensive band in the world. It's Ebo the Letter, taken from New Adventures in Hi-Fi, the lead single, as I said. And uh, it was 1996, was September. Um, in the August of 1996, um, OREM had signed a five-album contract with Warner Brothers, which was worth, at the time, like 80 million quid. It was the biggest deal in music history. And, um, I mean, they must have heard this song at this point. I guess what Warner Brothers were expecting was... More Losing My Religions, more Everybody Hurts and Automatic for the Peoples. And they didn't get that. They got um, this taken from an album that was eclectic, um, kind of bloated, um, a challenging masterpiece of record, I think, but did sound like the band kind of willfully trying to like shed fans and duck the spotlight. Um, Certainly Michael Stipe, who always had a kind of strange relationship with fame, um, 
a man that was always on the cusp of being like, you know, spokesperson for a generation and um, trying to duck that, like around the time of Automatic for the People. He just started refusing to give interviews and the subject matter of a lot of the songs, which were kind of obsessed with death, just led people to think, okay, he's got some dire illness. He's just, you know, completely retreating. And he was fine, except for the fame thing, which he talks about kind of cryptically in this song, um, which is kind of tuneless and vibey and uh, spoken word. And then you've got like Patti Smith floating in on the chorus because I guess she was a famous friend and they could and they just adored her. And she's almost like a kind of a guardian angel in the song. It's great. I think it's some of their best work. Um, But as the lead single for an album after signing the biggest deal in history, it does feel like they're very aware of what they're doing um, combined with the lyrics, which are, you know, comparing fame to the allure and addiction of drugs. And the song actually, I should point out, being um, basically about River Phoenix and based on a letter that Michael Stipe wrote to him. Um, It just all comes together in a really kind of powerful way. Um, I think Michael Stipe's a great kind of like impressionistic biographer of like, you know, mid to late 20th century stars. Uh, You've got Man on the Moon, Electrolyte, just that kind of era of Hollywood and the dark side of it. I think he does that stuff really well. And here he turns the kind of spotlight on himself and flinches in it, but does it brilliantly. So OREM are, of course, a very storied band, hell of a career, many, many albums released. Uh, My runner up this week is an artist that we've been waiting on the next album from for a very long time, to the point where it's become almost almost mythical. There's been a lot of struggle along the way, but she's a show favourite. Here's my number two. Guy Ferreira there, the song I Blame Myself, a song that came out in like 2013 and it's kind of weirdly prescient because, you know, she mentions like I blame myself for my reputation. I mean, she was already, I suppose, suffering the slings and arrows of the press and the boardrooms and so on, but that would only intensify in the years that would follow. I mean, for anyone who's unaware of Sky Ferreira, she's an incredible pop artist. Uh, She released a debut album called Nighttime My Time in 2013 that is very, very well worth checking out. Before that, you had the Everything is Embarrassing EP. The title track alone is just one of the great pop statements I think either of us have heard in the last 10 years. Uh, An artist that we root for continually on this show. There was supposed to be a new album, like... Two, three years ago, I think a single came out and we thought it was finally happening. Yeah, we got a song. We got a song. <laughs> and then like Pitchfork did like a cover story. Um, she's been very vocal about the struggles that she's had. I mean, especially with um, the music industry and how she has alleged that record label executives have uh, locked her out of her own music and like stolen her passwords and they're holding her SoundCloud demos and such at bay. Um, there's, it's just been like a, a, an incredible struggle for autonomy, like not, uh, I guess, a million miles away from the Britney Spears situation. If, if in fact everything she's saying is correct. Um, and there's just been like all this promise. She's kind of like, you know, she's kind of like pop version of Frank Ocean, although Frank Ocean does pop music as well. Um, 
And there's been this kind of almost untapped reservoir of potential and talent. And she's released some incredible, incredible songs along the way. And I just find it weird that like all those years ago, she's like, you know, this is a song that starts off and she's like, is it because you know my name or is it because you saw my face on the cover? Either way, it's all the same. It's like talking to a friend who's trying to be your lover. Underneath it all, I know it's not your fault that you don't understand. I blame myself. And it's very like heavy on the irony, but I think in a much less abrasive James Murphy way, it's kind of once again taking power back, taking shots at the right people and doing it like a kind of a satirical version of, oh yeah, it's all my fault, of course, you know, um, I own it. And in doing so, that is ownership. Um, yeah, it's just like, I don't find Sky Ferreira frustrating. I find the industry around Sky Ferreira frustrating. And I really wish, number one, for the best for her, because it does seem like she's been having a very difficult time of it in the last eight years or so, and perhaps before so as well. I really want that second album, man. You know, I hope, I hope, I I hope it happens. The comparison to Frank Ocean, um, it's it's interesting because, you know, he comes from a place where he starts off with Odd Future and that's, you know, uh, a group with a lot of autonomy and he's got a good base and a launch pad there and it just feels like she probably got her initial contract to become one of these cookie cutter pop stars and sound a certain way and put out, you know, follow a kind of a blueprint and a game plan that was as much about like accounting as actual artistry. And we got one album that like kicked against that and um, the struggle seems to have been real for her. So who knows if we'll get anything. I could, I don't know, I could imagine us not, but hopefully that's not the case. All right. My number one is one of my favorite albums um, of all time. It's an album after one of the most successful game-changing rock albums of all time. Bring it crashing on down, Adam. Servants there from Inutero, um, Nirvana's third album. Sorry, I, I think you'll find Craig, as I once said on live radio, it's in Utero. <laughs> Is it in Utero? No, you're correct. I was wrong, and thus <laughs> oh, shit. I'm shaming myself. <laughs> did you catch it at the time, or was it just was it? No, it, it, it was said to me. Know? It was said to me afterwards by oh, a, a good Jesus. friend of mine from Cork, and she was like, "What the fuck did you?" Say? <laughs> like, so. I think you. Do you know what? I think you're fine with that. When I'd say seventy percent of the audience was like, "Yep, sounds right to me." So it's okay. Um, but yeah, what an opening gambit to an album. Um, my God. So good. Teenage Angst has paid off well. Now I'm bored and old. Shots fired. That smells like Teen Spirit um, from Kurt Cobain there, who um, was quite outspoken about how he wasn't all that happy with the success of Nevermind. Um, and we get an album that is a total reaction to that record. I think it's the superior one. I think Steve Albini's work on it, it's tremendous. It's um, abrasive. It's kind of this sunken, ravaged uh, sound that still has great pop like this song um, but it's just like a man kind of horrified at how quickly he's becoming a myth I guess and it's got that kind of primal scream element um, to his kind of expression and just like a longing as well to get into the fetal position and escape the hellscape that is this reality which I think we can all um, agree with at times but um there's lyrics like self-appointed judges judge more than they have sold. So he's taken aim at the critics. Um, there's, you know, talk about Courtney Love and how she, you know, the way she's being treated, you, it compares it to women being accused of witchcraft. Um, 
And this kind of continues throughout the albums. You have stuff like Francis Farmer will have for Revenge on Seattle, which is, you know, him comparing the situation to um, an American actress, Francis Farmer, who was, she struggled with mental health issues and she was um, committed essentially years prior and just had an absolutely hellish time. That's a really evocative way he writes about that. It was just such fertile kind of writing on this album, um, showing his kind of genius. But um, I think as a kick against that level of fame, in such a kind of public way, this is great as a statement. And um, yeah, I think he was clearly a depressed guy. I don't like the kind of nar- simple narrative of like, yeah, fame did him in. I think he had a lot of issues. He was a complex dude, but I don't think fame helped him any. Um, on a totally different note, if I may ask, um, is In Utero, I got it right this time, is that their best album, do we think? In Utero? <laughs> <laughs> oh man oh it man is, I, think. Yeah, <laughs> I can't I think believe I did it again <laughs> fuck <laughs> in usual episodes Tony's it, checked out <laughs> yeah Tony's gone we lost Tony a while ago probably during the album it, review I think it is their best album yeah I think it's um, their best album too yeah I love the production on it I think there's such great depth to it um the extremes like there's some really hushed gorgeous beautiful delicate acoustic stuff but just total roars i always thought the the production on nevermind let the songs down a bit um butch fig wasn't it it just feels a bit it's a bit safe um so yeah i think it's a new row for me my 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 rush of confidence there i mean good lord also uh we have a sonic architect putting his head in his hands about that production combo that's a story for another day he loves nevermind <laughs> we can we can actually pick that one up if we want to this weekend when we record a new episode of no ox cord that's exclusively okay. for our patrons it's patreon.com slash no encore if you want to get that bonus episode it'll be dropping on monday on the patreon feed but for now we get to my number one and i think it's appropriate that i had that rush of blood to the head there because um there's something of a bit of a fake it till you make it thing about this song while also once again dealing with the trappings of fame i think we have all of our songs been about the negative sides of fame probably but i think that a lot of these songs have a genuinely enjoyable lilt to them and um, when i was doing my research this week this is one of the ones i saw kind of popping up and i was like i've always liked that song that song had a bit of a moment that artist had a bit of a moment and then i kept listening to it as the week wore on and i was just i couldn't stop listening to it i was like you know what i think this song actually fucking rules so it's my number one here we go everybody gets a nice autograph picture one for you and one for your sister who had to work tonight but is an avid listener every song's a favorite song and mics don't feedback all the reviewers say you need to go and see that and everybody claps cuz everybody is pleased and then they all take the stage and stop performing for me like ha 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 If you are what you say you are, a superstar, then have no fear, the camera's here. Ah, it's so emotional. It's Superstar by Lupe Fiasco, featuring a singer. (laughs) Yeah, I I picked the video version for the audio cut. It brings it it all back. (laughs) The camera sound going off. Um, It's Lupe Fiasco featuring a singer called Matthew Santos, who I don't know of outside of this song. He's collaborated with Lupe Fiasco before. It seems to have had his own kind of jobbing indie career. But to me, this is one of those weird moments where it's like a big song. Like, remember when Just Dance by Lady Gaga came out and she had a feature on that one? Uh, Can anyone name the guy? Uh, Adam is shouting it. It is, in fact, Colby O'Donis, who I never heard of before or since. What a name. Should have been massive. I know, right? Um, I love this song. I think it's great. Lupe Fiasco is a very interesting one. He has a career. He's a big name. 
but it's just never quite fully happened on a mainstream level. This one actually, this is probably his biggest mainstream hit, maybe. Um, went to the top 10 in the UK and Ireland. Um, I remember re- reviewing one of his albums for Drown and Sound uh, years ago, and it was very good. It had moments. He has some incredible stuff, like songs like Mural, like that's fucking amazing. Incredible short stories. But I think he's an erratic artist. Like it's hard for him to just kind of... I don't know, like maybe like be fully coherent and super sharp over the course of one record. I worked with a guy before and like, I remember he, he was like, oh, Lupe Fiasco is my favorite rapper. And I was like, really? I was like, no one says that. That's fascinating to me. Um, I love this song though. I think it does very, very well with, you know, kind of detailing the pressures and the falsity of fame and the fans and the, the hilarious camera sound effects there, uh, that you only get on the YouTube version, I believe. Um, yeah, I, I, I think this is an all time pop song. I had a great time spending time with it this week. And I just genuinely kept going back to it. I think on a surface level, it's beautiful. I think there's nice pathos to it. And I think it is a banger, Craig. Yeah, I really like this. Uh, I like Lupe as well. He should have been bigger. Um, the grand irony of it. Um, but he is he is kind of one of those cult artists, I think, at this point. Because um, he's got a great body of work. He puts out albums regularly enough. I think he's more of a kind of rapper's rapper as well. Do you know what I mean? So maybe the time he was supposed to break through was just at a point where we're getting more into mumble rap territory and kind of rap pop. And he doesn't have as many of those kind of songs. He's more about bars. Um, So yeah, check out his back catalogue for sure. But it seemed, he did seem destined to be massive, didn't he? Like Kanye feature songs like this and then just didn't happen fame fickle mistress it sure is maybe he needs to hook up with a certain Mr. New Music Friday and that's of course my cue to thank once again Sonic Architect Adam for his amazing skills in shepherding this uh, feature length episode across the line sorry we couldn't get it down to 60 minutes listen I would love to get I would love to do a 60 minute episode I've had people say that they want the show to be longer I've had people say they want the show to be shorter I think with the format I don't see how we could possibly do news and album review and a top 5 in a 60 minute window it's the top five often is a 60 minute window so that's what the timestamps are there for it's a podcast i want to say thanks again to the uh helpful advice we'll see what we can do but for now yeah 90 minute episodes i think are the is the kind of gold <laughs> standard <laughs> so we'll see what we can do uh that's uh no encore for this week though and like i say new no ox coming next week uh i'm gonna record a new no popcorn soon if you've yet to Please go back into the archive and check out Adam's debut and before the encore, his new project as well. Lots happening on the feed, patreon.com slash noencore if you want to support us. And who knows, Craig, this time next week, will we will we be reviewing a certain album by a certain man? I'm going to listen to it right now. <laughs> oh, no. the baby, it's happening. <laughs> Goodbye, everybody. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. 
Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.